0: may be dismissed to children's church and have a great time there kids the rest of us are going to be in Romans chapter 9 before we we look at this great passage in Romans 930 through 104 I want to remind you of a, a parable that Jesus gave the timing of the parable is important it was the day after the triumphal entry you might remember the day of the triumphal entry the, uh, uh, the children even were crying out in the street Hosanna blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest quoting uh, Psalm 119, 118 verse 26 and the scribes and Pharisees said, Can't you keep them quiet? You know, we don't want all this, these accolades going out. And, um, and the, the next day, Jesus is coming back into town and he the, curses the fig tree for not bearing fruit and so forth. And he, uh, the Pharisees question him again and he tells them a parable. He says, Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a winepress in it, and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the winedressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them then last of all he sent his own son to them saying they will respect my son but when the vine dressers saw the son they said among themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and seize his inheritance so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? The Pharisees answered, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone? which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard heard these parables they perceived he was speaking of them and they sought to lay hands on him and so forth. They wanted to kill him because they realized he was speaking of them. Now the setting of that that parable is important in that it it shows the the rejection of the religious leaders and um, Jesus' declaration that The vineyard or his kingdom was going to be given to another people because they were stumbling at that stumbling stone. Paul is talking about the same kind of thing, referencing the same idea here in Romans chapter 9. Let's start at verse 30 of Romans 9. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law for they stumbled at that stumbling stone as it is written behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame so a question before us today is Is uh, your foundation for your spiritual life is it a stumbling stone or a cornerstone Jesus became a stumbling stone to many people Now if you were walking across a, a dark room And uh, your kids had left out toys in the, in the evening You might stumble across them Or if you have a, a, a large dog like Beth Isaac You might stumble over that And uh, cause great injury to yourself in the dark I've, I've tripped over not, not a few things in the dark myself. But it's, we, we kind of picture that. But if you are walking in the dark in your spiritual life, you're not sure where you're going, you, you are going to stumble and fall over things. You might even stumble upon the right thing, but you will fall on it. Instead of it being a cornerstone for you. What is this about Israel? Verse 31. Israel was pursuing the law of righteousness, but has not attained to the law of righteousness because they didn't seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. And they stumbled at, at that stumbling stone, or the stumbling stone. It's a definite article. The or that stumbling stone. Well, what is that? Well, there's a compilation of quotes here in, in verse uh, Thirty three taken from Isaiah. First of all, let's go back to Isaiah chapter twenty eight, verse sixteen. Isaiah twenty eight, sixteen. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. That is, if you believe, you will trust. So whoever believes... This will be a a tried, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation for your life. Now, go back to Isaiah chapter 8, starting at verse 11. here God is trying to reassure Isaiah to stand fast and to trust him and he says for the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people calls a conspiracy nor be afraid of their threats nor be troubled the Lord of hosts him you shall hollow him you shall treat as sacred the word hollow there is in the Lord's prayer hollowed be your name be treated as sacred or holy the Lord him you shall hollow let him be your fear let him be your dread he will be as a sanctuary but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel (coughs) As a trap and as a snare to the inhabitants of Israel. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken. Be snared and taken. But the Lord. Uh, is to be hollowed. Treated as holy. And he shall be as a sanctuary. But as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To others who don't trust him. Now. Going back then to with those two passages in mind um, go back to Romans chapter nine. So what was going on? What was causing this to be a stumbling stone? Verse thirty two, why? Because they didn't seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at, at this stumbling stone. What what is that stumbling stone? now quoting from Isaiah behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame so Jesus himself the Lord himself the one who is to be hollowed above all who to be treated as sacred above all he is the stumbling stone to Israel the stumbling stone is Christ they stumbled over him. They didn't stumble over the law. They tried to keep the law. They thought the law was a great thing. They stumbled over the righteousness provided by God through faith in Christ. Now this is obvious for the, for the Jews. As we now look back through history and we, we see the New Testament times, it's kind of obvious for us how they stumbled over that stumbling stone, Christ. But... What about people today? I, see, I believe people today are still stumbling over the same stumbling stone of Christ. Have you noticed that people are more willing to, to speak about God than Christ? You can get into... Uh, a discussion with people generally on the topic of God whatever God means to them but the moment you try to define what God is in specific personal terms as I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that's where the conflict comes people are no longer willing to, to talk to you you're being too specific if you want to talk about some general God that's okay But the stumbling stone is if it's Jesus. I've known people before who professed to be believers. And I noticed that in all their conversation, they would never mention the name Christ. Always, well, you know, I think God is good and God is loving and I'm trusting God. But they would never mention Christ or Jesus. They bore the fruit of that later on in their lives That, they're, that they never had a personal relationship You see Christ himself becomes the, the stumbling stone Or the cross becomes a stumbling stone People are willing to accept the form of Jesus Where he is a, he's a great teacher, a healer A tremendous example But when you start talking about the blood of the cross That upsets people or if you want to talk about the kind and gentle Jesus but not the lordship of Christ or when you start talking about the call of Christ to holiness those things become stumbling blocks even in a Christian nation so called is he your your stumbling stone or is Christ your cornerstone Look at uh, First Peter, Chapter Two. First Peter, two, and starting at verse four. coming to Him, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to Him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but He is chosen by God and He is precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of of offense, They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now let's go back to Romans 9. So we see that this stone, this a stumbling stone and a rock of offense is none other than Jesus Christ. And he is either someone's stumbling stone or he is their cornerstone. And there's no in between there He is either your stumbling stone or your cornerstone so which is he to you secondly is your righteousness of self or the savior you see the problem of righteousness for, from self being expressed in this passage pursuing the wrong righteousness verse 31 again but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness which on the face of it looks like a good thing, a commendable thing. Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained it. They haven't gotten there. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They were pursuing the law of righteousness but they could not attain it why? well two main reasons first of all that the law demands perfection it's one thing to say I'm, I'm going to pursue the law I'm going to try to keep it but you can never fully keep it no one ever has except for Jesus Christ himself they could never attain it it needed to be supplied to them the righteousness of God so the, the the law demands perfection and righteousness demands faith that has been uh, Paul's consistent message through this book of Romans he's developed that theme throughout and especially in Romans chapter 4 where he talks about the life of Abraham and Abraham believed God in, uh, and trusted in him and it was accounted to him for righteousness righteousness demands faith but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained it why verse 32 because they did not seek it by faith Righteous, they were pursuing the wrong righteousness and secondly the righteousness that they were pursuing was not according to knowledge look at chapter 10 now these passages kind of flow together here brethren my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved Paul is not saying all this because he's glad to see Israel stumble and fall over that rock his heart is grieved for them for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God they have a zeal for God (laughs) but not according to knowledge For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. (coughs) Excuse me. Their their righteousness, according to verse 1 and 2, is not according to knowledge. Now, remember how Proverbs says in Proverbs, Proverbs one seven, as it, Proverbs begins, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. the The way you come about knowledge is you is understanding who God is, and then He opens up your um, your ability to attain knowledge. Our on our own limited knowledge, we can't figure God out or His ways. His, Remember how, how Isaiah said that God's ways are as high above man as the heavens are above the earth. Um, so higher the way of God over us. <clears throat> and they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to the knowledge, not according to God's knowledge. They were ignorant of His knowledge. And what is it that the vast majority of Jews did not understand? Of all the things they understood of the minutia of the law, what is it that they did not get, they did not understand? If we could reduce it to a word, it would be righteousness. What they didn't understand was what righteousness really looks like. You see, they went about trying to establish their own righteousness because they couldn't figure out God's Righteousness. So verse 3, For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish a substitute, seeking to establish their own righteousness. Oh, that righteousness of God thing doesn't make sense to me. Let's do something else. We have people doing the same kind of thing today. Oh, these demands of God seem kind of an imposition to my freedom of lifestyle. How about we substitute something else? They sought to establish their own righteousness. And notice, and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It comes down to an act of the will. This is the telling point. This is the key. is is when the will gets involved what do I really want did not submit to the righteousness of God they got a glimpse of it they kind of understood it in fact Romans 1 says when they knew God they did not glorify or honor him as God they became vain in their own imaginations thinking themselves to be wise they became fools Because the will does not want to bend to God's will. They have not submitted their will to the righteousness of God. And the the thing is, the righteousness of God does not come by all the things that they were trying to do, but it comes as a gift. So, is your righteousness from self or is it from the Savior? Look at what we we find about that in this passage. Curious statement of verse 30. Because Paul is voicing for people. And what might be an objection. That having read. If you've uh, followed with us. The previous passage of Romans 9. How God has called Gentiles. Who didn't have all the a background of the Jews and he says what shall we say then that gentiles who did not pursue righteousness they weren't even out there looking for it much less pursuing it the gentiles off on their own not pursuing righteousness have attained righteousness even though they weren't looking for it. They stumbled upon it, so to speak. That's how it would appear anyways. Even, as verse 30 says, the righteousness of faith. Because this goes back to what Paul said earlier in in Romans 9. Look at verse 16. So then... Here's a um, conclusion that he's drawing from things he just said earlier about the election of God. Verse 11, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Verse 16, so then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Remember when we were looking at, at that passage back then. It's not based on how hard somebody tries So it doesn't matter that the Jews were not pursuing righteousness. It's not based at all on how hard someone tries. Not based on the the one who wills or the one who runs. But of God who shows mercy. The amazing thing about amazing grace is that any of us get it at all. The Gentiles, including us, who were not pursuing righteousness, God still moved, worked in our hearts, and opened our eyes of understanding to see His righteousness, to see our sin, and to desire the Savior. And all of that was from Him. I was not out there in the world trying to pursue the righteousness of God and he said you know that Gary because you were so good I'm going to call you into my kingdom I was hell bound pursuing my own will and God saved me anyway by his mercy so that it was not of decided by which way I was running or going but by the mercy of God Verse 3 of chapter 10 says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Notice how the verse begins and ends with the righteousness of God. Now, then, verse 4 tells us what that righteousness of God is. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. What what does the end of the law mean? That special word, end. You might say, tell us what that means. That'd be a Greek pun because the word is tell us, tell us, tell us. The word end is the word tell us, and uh, it it has a a rich variety of meaning here. To, to To think about it um, A race course with a finish line It is the end You could say is both the the termination of the race And the, the goal of the race The end The end line, the finish line, the end of it Is both the termination in that the race is over Once that point is reached, right? You don't keep racing. The race is over once you reach that line. So it's the determination of the race. And it is the goal of the race. That is the purpose for the people running in circles. Or driving in circles. Or riding in circles. Whatever kind of race you're thinking of. what The, the goal of the race. It, it is run for the sake of reaching that line. And... I believe that this word contains both of those meanings in it in the same way that a finish line if you think of a race has both of those meanings it is both the marks the termination of the race and it is the goal of the race at the same time so that's the way I believe the word is being used here for Christ is the end of the law Christ is the end of the law in that he is the termination of the law he he is the the ending point of the law up until the the time of Christ the law had served its purpose but when you get to the, the time of Christ it has ended its purpose it served well all that God desired for it to it was part of the Old Testament or we might say the Old Covenant right? but when Christ came he established a new covenant in his own blood which we'll celebrate in a moment in the communion here and so the the Old Testament came to an end as the New Testament was inaugurated and so he is the end of the law he is the termination point the end of the law but he is also the end of the law in the sense that he is the goal or the purpose of of the law the law pointed to christ just as a people in a race are pointed toward or aimed at the the goal line the finish line the law pointed to him in in numerous prophecies and all kinds of symbols and types and uh, it it pointed to the need for christ and the inability of man to fulfill the law and, as Paul says in Galatians, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law showed us, as we, we look at God's demands, I can't keep this. That that's right. I need a righteousness that is not based on my keeping all of this, but a righteousness that God himself will supply. And so the law pointed to Christ. Now go back to Romans six fourteen. Romans 6 14 for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace we no longer live under the old covenant law but we are in the new covenant grace provided through Christ and that, again, if we go to Romans ten four, is I believe what's in view there. The sacrifice of Christ both ended and fulfilled the law. Now, just one final question here from the passage, and that is: Is your life marked by zeal or by faith? first of all consider a life of faith and what's being said about that in this passage we see in verse 30 what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness even the righteousness of faith and so we have in the beginning of this passage a reminder that righteousness is of faith verse 32 the negative side of that coin why didn't Israel? because they did not seek it by faith the Gentiles got it by faith. The, Israel, the, the Jews didn't because they didn't have faith. William Barclay uh, put it this way. His summation of, of that passage. He says, The Jews sought to put God in their debt. The believing Gentiles were content to be in God's debt. The Jews believed they could win salvation by doing things for God. The believing Gentiles were lost in the amazement of what God had done for them. The Jews sought to find their way to God by works. The believing Gentiles found the way through faith. And Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law for who? He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes as a present active participle believes, to every believing one, not just someone who believed at some time back in the vacation Bible school, but to everyone who is right now actively believing. Do you believe in Jesus Christ right now? Not some decision somebody said you made some time ago, but in your heart are you believing in him right now? He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who is currently ongoing believing. Verse 10, Romans 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So it's if you really believe in your heart, you believe unto righteousness. If you believe in Christ, he gives his righteousness to you. as a life of faith not just a one time belief but an ongoing life of believing how about a life of zeal we have this testimony in Romans 10:2 about the Jews for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge now zeal is a good thing it's good to have zeal. It's great to have zeal for God. Some of you cheered for your, your favorite football team yesterday or maybe you will today. <clears throat> Win or lose, you were zealous for them, cheering. It's good to have zeal in your life. And it's good to have zeal for God. In the fourth book of Maccabees, There's an amazing incident recorded for us... ...where Eleazar the priest was brought before Antiochus Epiphanes... ...whose aim was to stamp out all of Jewish religion. So Antiochus ordered Eleazar the priest to eat pork. The old man refused. No, he said, not if you pluck out my eyes... ...and consume my bowels in the fire... We, O oh Antioch, Antiochus, who live under a divine law, consider no compulsion to be so forcible as obedience to our law. If he had to die, his fathers would receive him holy and pure, he believed. So he was ordered to be beaten. His flesh was torn off by the whips, and he streamed down with blood, and his flanks were laid open by wounds. He fell, and a soldier kicked him. In the end, the soldiers so pitied him that they brought him dressed meat, which was not pork, and told him to eat it and to say that he had eaten pork. He refused. He was, in the end, killed. He said, I am dying by fiery torments for thy law's sake. He prayed to God. He resisted, says the writer of Maccabees, even to the agonies of death for the law's sake. And what was all of this about that he was so zealous for? It was for a piece of pork. He was so zealous that he would die for a ham sandwich. The Jews did die for things like that. They were zealous for the law. Even they had a zeal for God, but it was a misguided zeal. It was not according to knowledge. It's great to have zeal, but you have to have zeal for the right things. What is really important in your life? And is it the same thing that is important to God. In the end, we're not left with a choice between zeal and faith. We should actually have both in full measure. Matthew 23, uh, Jesus is getting on to the Pharisees and one of the verses there, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith you ought to have done uh, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone it's not that you have either zeal or faith but you have both zeal and faith but you have a zeal that is guided by faith in God And righteousness which comes from him alone. So what marks your life today? Is Jesus Christ to you a stumbling stone? Or is he your cornerstone? Is your righteousness from yourself? Are you still trying to earn God's favor somehow? Or is your righteousness from the Savior alone? And finally, are you being zealous for the right things? The things of God. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you that in your divine goodness and wisdom, in your abundant mercy and grace, you supplied all the righteousness that we need through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. i like to ask those who are going to be... Searching.